we got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the dim. It go down. It go down in the dim. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus vest that expires seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Alex Pearson. Everyone getting everything because the promises are sky high. I'm Alex Pearson with you, th- uh, with you on this Thursday, April 6th. Yeah, it is our Friday. So welcome to a beautiful day out there. Looks like we're going to have a lovely, lovely weekend for Easter, if that's what you're celebrating, whether it's Easter or Passover. Uh, Many going into the second night of Seder dinner tonight, but yeah, spring is in the air, so let's enjoy it and maybe clean out the gardens and just enjoy some of the uh, fresh air. All my flowers have started to bloom, which is lovely. They come up fast. I didn't think they came up that fast, so I've got to unbury the tulips from all the garbage that has collected so let's talk a little bit. we got a packed show. This is one of those very, very busy days, and I have a feeling it's going to get busier, but this is one of those, it's got a bit of a theme to it, right? It's uh, kind of about the everyday cost of living and how it's impacting us. And I certainly think that the mayoral election speaks to a lot of this, because, you know, if we knew that all the political promises that are being made, and they're making an awful lot of promises that will be broken, I don't even know why we entertain it anymore. I mean, we shouldn't. Because we have less than no money in the city of Toronto, and here we've got 31 mayoral contenders, and by the end of this, we could have 420, but for now, it's 31, um, and they're promising us everything under the sun. There's the same kinds of ideas that we had years to implement, but haven't because we couldn't afford it then, or they just didn't bother, and now the city's actually broken, and we have these candidates offering us pie-in-the-sky promises, but zero details on how or if they can actually be delivered. Anna Bailau, who is uh, making an announcement about um, Ontario Place, which we'll get details on, she's uh, promising in her big promise section our cell phones on transit. So she's going to do what no other mayor has been able to get done, including John Tory, who ran Rogers and sat on the board, she says she's going to make the telecom companies do it. I mean, hey, good gusto. Except she can't actually force the telecoms to do anything. Bylaw says she's going to force the province to take on costs of the DVP and Gardner. It does make sense because it is provincial jurisdiction, but Doug Ford's made very clear it's not happening. 
And for Doug Ford to pick up the costs of both of these highways would mean he's got to do the same for thousands of kilometers of provincial highways that all sorts of other municipalities across the province of Ontario um, and cities are also paying for. So we're talking billions of dollars in costs. It's not like he's going to do a special favor for Toronto. So I think those two big promises sound great. Are they dead on arrival? Brad Bradford and Mitzi Hunter promising track-level barriers on subways, a promise that would cost the city more than $1.3 billion. Both candidates also promising the barriers, uh, mental health supports, more officers, more outreach workers. And Hunter said on Wednesday, you know, the costs are justified. Okay, maybe. But she didn't cost it out, so I have no idea what she's pricing it for, and, and we don't have the money for it unless we're talking about a massive tax hike. Plus, by the time he put these barriers in, we're looking at well over a year, and I'm being very generous. I mean, surely to God, this crisis will be in control sooner than that, correct? Bradford's also promising cell service, and apparently um, he can get it done. Sky's the limit when we have no money. But he's also announcing this fix for congestion and he's going to join me at 11.45 uh, to, to explain his latest um, announcement. But the, the plan is to hire a congestion relief commissioner. Because we need another level of bureaucracy. Yes, that's a good expense to pay. But yeah, we'll hire a congestion relief commissioner to coordinate construction projects and how they will impact traffic, you know, in roadways. He'll also redeploy 200 more enforcement officers who will man 50 of the busiest intersections during rush hour. So I guess what's old is new again, because Brad Bradford's taken a page right out of John Tory's 2014 traffic busting plan that uh, didn't bust traffic. Still pretty bad. You got Rob Davis, fiscal conservative. He told me Monday he'll be hiring a thousand more police officers. And when you average it out, I average like the cost uh, $100,000. So we're talking well over $100 million in new money. And when you got a police budget of $1.5 billion and many on council demanding less cops, I don't know how this gets approved. And wh where's the money coming from? Davis made clear that he's going to audit the books. He's going to cut back on silly pet projects like renaming streets that offend one, pe one person. But again, that is a massive cost. Mark Saunders... Running on law and order. No question he's got the advantage. I mean, he's got a 37-year policing career under his belt, and he ran the biggest police force in the country. But being in charge of the rank and file is not the same as being a member of a city council where you have to use the art of negotiation and persuasion if you actually want to get things done. And I asked him twice on Monday, how will you fill the billion and a half billion, you know, the dollar hole in our budget and he didn't answer. He's good at that. He didn't answer. I mean, it's one thing to balance a police budget because you know the numbers you've got to play with. But city budgets are much bigger, much bigger challenge, many, many more moving parts. And you have to have consensus. And, uh, you know, if he can't answer or any candidate can't answer, how are you going to fill this hole? Maybe it's because they don't have the answer which is not acceptable if you're running for the top job. How are you going to make up the hole? 
The other thing is, if John Tory was nagged by conflict issues around the, uh, you know, his relationship with Rogers, how, how is Saunders going to uh, avoid blurring the lines with the Toronto police force he ran? So that would be an additional challenge. Every candidate's going to promise mental health supports. But there really is only so much the city can offer because the province is in charge of the really big stuff that we actually need, which is thousands more beds that don't exist and public addiction services that also don't exist because those in charge have decided that keeping people addicted to drugs is somehow cheaper and more compassionate. Everyone's promising affordable housing. We're always promised affordable housing. We never get it. And you know how I know this? Because we don't have it. We've got a crisis instead. All the politicians, every level, if they could just deliver on the endless promises for affordable housing, we'd have it. I can't count. Literally, I tried every level of government. How many announcements I have covered on this since I was 25. I mean, they get the headlines, but we just don't get the housing. So they're all making, you know, going to make our, our lives more affordable. And I'm looking at all these platforms saying, well, okay, all your promises add up to these massive costs. So the question we actually need answered is how will it be delivered? We've got a $16.1 billion budget, uh, operating budget. It's going up by 20% in the next five years. And right now with this massive deficit that has to be filled, we need to know where the money's coming. And the surest way to know the value of all the promises of these candidates is seeing how it will be paid for. And there's no costed platforms. So these are promises on the fly. And we can't follow the dollar to see if it adds up. So it's not enough. I'm sorry. You can say, just trust us. No. Look where that has gotten us now. Look at the state of our reality in this city. What we're living now in Toronto is a result of all the other myriad of grand promises that have been made over years and kicked down the road and cancelled. Anyone can make a promise. It's the delivery we don't get. And given a lot of the things we're being promised rely on help from the promise and feds, right now they are wishful thinking. You know, a guy like Anthony Fury, you know, he says job number one will be to review the city programs, see what waste he can cut. Not all that sexy. But then you look at some of the things he's putting out there. He would shut down a $1,000 grant program for students JK to grade 12 to engage in environmental advocacy. Why are we paying for stuff like that? Why are we paying for activists? That's ridiculous. And what other nonsense are we paying for if you've got programs like that? I guarantee you there are many of them. If we can get rid of stuff like that, maybe we can afford to have other stuff. So... Again, with these candidates, promises are easy. It's the fine print that we need to know about. Sixty-three percent of Canadians who don't have home now have completely given up on even thinking they'll ever own one. Isn't that crazy? Sixty-three percent. Seventy percent say houses are for only the rich, and seventy-one percent say. High interest rates are sidelining them from doing anything right now. So, yeah, we're all waiting to see what will the Bank of Canada do? Are they going to raise interest rates? Uh, they are going up. We, they are going up. Tiff Macklin has to put them up because he does. Um, 
But we're already into bidding wars now in the spring, even though there's no supply. So we're looking at higher interest rates that will go higher, housing supply, which is down by 44%, and very slim pickings with a market uh, that has uh, still some demands. Ron Butler is a mortgage specialist with Mor Butler uh, Mortgage. G uh, good of you to join me, Ron. Thanks. I look at your stuff a lot just to kind of see what advice you're uh, giving. Is your job really stressful these days? Well, there's a lot of disappointment. There's a lot of... Uh unfortunate situations yes absolutely yeah you're warning that uh, nobody knows for sure what's going to happen the most volatile mortgage rate environment you have seen in 28 years and so you know i was reading an article yesterday tiff macklin's going to raise rates they're thinking maybe by june uh could up go up another 50 basis points possibly 75 which would be like game over for a that's a, that's a big hike you know, Alex, the real problem that we have today is a relationship between, as you pointed out, what people's incomes are, particularly young people's incomes are, and what the price of houses is. If you jump back to the 1980s, 1990s, and even the early 2000s, uh, yeah. people's, the price of a house was about three times average income. Today, the price of a house is about nine, ten times average income. So in that environment, that's where you get a lot of people thinking that only the rich can own a home. Yeah, which is not true. Like, it took a long time to save up and all the rest of it. But the point is, you can't even save up anymore. It's it's like very, very difficult. And so, I mean, we have talked. You told me that you were starting to see a lot more private, um, you know, lenders, which is not really an area you want to go unless you're absolutely desperate. But what would you be doing at this point, you know, if you were looking to buy or sell me? Because there, people are buying and now they're getting into bidding wars, which, again, can lead to some... You know, you get emotional about it, and then you want it, and you have to have it, and then you find yourself overbidding, you know, on a, on a place that maybe you're not going to be able to afford because if interest rates go up, you know, you don't really know the, the, the true picture. Well, it's true. The idea of bidding wars returning is possibly the worst thing I've heard for the last three yeah. months, and it's absolutely going on. I mean, I caution everyone engaged in those bidding wars to be so careful, so so concerned about where they end up. And let's face it, it's never a great way to buy a house. Oh, it's terrible because you get so, it's almost like, it's like a psychological, I, I got into a bidding war, uh, we had f a bunch of them because we couldn't find a place, but four bids and buy the, and, we, and never do it when you're drinking. We were a wine bar because uh, you do all sorts of stupid stuff. But thank God we didn't get it because like we wouldn't be able to afford it today. Uh, and that's what do, you get very emotional about it. Like you have to have it. And that's the thing I don't like about bidding wars is like it becomes very fierce competition. And ultimately, I don't think the best decisions are made under those circumstances. I would thoroughly agree. But with this incredible low inventory of homes being offered for sale, it almost mm -hmm. sets the stage for bidding wars. Yeah, yeah. Well, if there's not a lot out there, but people are, you hear the polling by Ipsos, people don't know what to do. Do I sell? Do I leave? Do I stay? Like the people are waiting for the market to kind of settle. But, you know, there are things I think that the federal government could do. Do they need to change their stress test? Is that causing more problems and locking people into situations that they can't get out of? I mean, what, what could be done right now to give some flexibility and stability to those who are finding themselves a bit over leveraged? Well, the chances of the stress test going away anytime soon are slim and none. Uh, that uh, program offers through the bank regulator, the Office of the Superintendent mm -hmm. of Financial Institutions, and they have never been more proud of anything than the stress test. They think it was their signature achievement. So the chance of them giving up on it in the near term is uh, almost zero. 
Yeah, but are there changes in your mind that need to be made? Like, I understand you have to stress that you don't want people being over leveraged and the banks do it for a reason. But are there are there things in there that they could change so that if all of a sudden someone needs to kind of renew, there's a little more flexibility? Well, you've hit on the key area that if someone is looking to renew and not increase their mortgage and not 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 take one extra cent. Those people should be completely relieved of the stress test because everybody who has a mortgage should have yeah. the right to shop, particularly in these times of very high interest rates. They need to be given the ability to shop. They shouldn't be trapped with their existing lender. And is that happening more and more? More and more. Like literally, uh, but it was particularly bad like a month and a half ago when the rates were mainly in the fives. But it continues to be a drag. Like, we just got to accept the fact that the government should not restrict competition when people are not looking to increase their mortgage by a dollar. I mean, not, not a penny. They just want the same mortgage switched to a lower rate. And in this times of high rates, the stress test should be removed from straight renewals. Yeah. And so that is something that they could have put in the budget. That is something you would think advisors might say to them, like, we don't want a whole bunch of bankruptcies because people don't have flexibility to shop around. And, and yet it wasn't there. They, ha- they must be conscious about this. Well, our Mortgage Association made that point to the government, has been making that point to the government for the last five years, and they have completely ignored it. Of course. Nonetheless, so what would your advice be? Because I think a lot of folks, I think we all thought, okay, we're going to get these hikes and then things are going to start to come down. Tiff Macklin hinted that, you know, we're going to get things down to about 2%. I don't think we're getting anywhere near that anytime soon with the way things are going. Well, it's particularly terrible food inflation. We've seen some energy inflation and it Mm -hmm. seems to be very sticky. And let's face it, that hurts the most vulnerable people. If the price of food stays high and wages do not grow, uh, those are the hardest hit people, and that really, and that is not going to be solved by the federal government sending out a one-time check for four hundred and sixty dollars. Yeah. I mean, that's not going to be helped whatsoever. No, not at all. And yet, here we are in the spring, which is generally the selling season. And um, and I don't know. I don't know if the um, supply is going to go up anymore. It's just uh, we when you hear bidding wars, I, I just didn't think we'd hear the, of those quite so soon. The supply question is a big question. You could suspect what may be going on is that people who might choose to sell their home are thinking, wait, I'll just wait. It might come back to those crazy high 2021 prices. And that would hold people back. That would, look, if I, if I can make another 200000 on my house, I'd like to. And that might be restricting what's available in the market right now. Yeah, but, but I don't think, I mean, and you're not Kreskin, uh, to my knowledge, um, but I don't, I don't think we're going back there, are we? Uh, I don't think we'll see, we have seen prices stop falling throughout the GTA. Uh, you know, some other smaller regions, there's still some a bit of softness. But right now in the GTA, prices have stopped falling. So if you're someone who's thinking, well, maybe they'll start going up big time, uh, you will just keep holding that house back from offer, even if you have an intention to sell. So again, to your point, very, very difficult affordability for the average person. I don't know why we have to ask this anymore because there were promises, but will the families of those murdered on flight PS752, are they ever going to get any kind of answers or justice? Because it is not just the Iranian regime just standing in their way now. We learn that the Trudeau government is trying to stop a judicial review into why the RCMP is refusing to launch an investigation into the mass murder 
of 63 Canadians who were on that doomed flight and were murdered. And, of course, there were 176 people on board. And you will recall the Trudeau government promised, they promised these families justice. And here we are almost almost four years later, and they still have none. Shaheen uh, Mogadam, who has lost his wife, Shakiba, their 10-year-old son, Rostin, um, he's been on my show many, many times. He filed a suit in federal court last year, and he wanted a review into why Canada's National Security and Intelligence Review Agency had suspended the investigation into complaints over the RCMP's decision not to investigate the attack. And former Commissioner Brenda Lucky told the families last year that, well, you know, Ukraine's in a better position to do this investigation. Well, maybe she doesn't realize that there's a war going on. She's not exactly been the... Uh, uh, you know, a performer, um, you know, worth her weight. But the bottom line is, uh, you know, the families of this flight, the families who literally had their, their family members killed on that flight, all they're asking for are answers and justice, and they are not so far getting that. Shaheen Mogadam, sorry, uh, is going to be joining us. We're just getting him on the line now. But Asher Honokman is a partner at Jordan Honokman Barristers Practicing Civil and Public Litigation and is helping these, uh, is helping him out and joins us now. Thanks so much, Asher, for coming. Uh, thanks for having me, Alex. Very good to be here. So why are the government's lawyers uh, trying to stop this? I mean, I know that they'll hide behind national security issues. I know that they'll say if we interrupt this investigation that Ukraine is doing, you know, it could hamper things. But, you know, Ukraine's at war. I think they got other things that they're thinking about. Not, and, and it wouldn't be this. Yeah, so so absolutely. We, we take the position that this investigation should be proceeding, that the RCMP is now in the best position to bring a criminal investigation. You know, in fairness to to Miss Lucky, when she made those comments, that was back mm. in 2021 before the invasion, and it just goes to show how long uh, mm. the time it's been since the attack, and and how long my client, uh, Mr. Mogadam, has been pushing for the RCMP to bring this investigation. Now, if it were ever true that Ukraine was in the better position, and we dispute that it was ever true, it's no, it, it's obviously no longer the case because as we all know, uh, a year ago, Russia launched its brutal invasion of Ukraine. Ukraine is in no position right now to conduct a criminal investigation into this attack. Uh, the RCMP is best positioned. It's always been the case that more Canadians died uh, were killed rather uh, in this attack than than Ukrainians or or nationals from any country. So we take the position that the RCMP is absolutely best positioned to uh, investigate this matter. Now, why is it being, um, you know, why was it suspended? Well, the, again, they they say there's some national uh, national security concerns. They say that if the investigation proceeded, it would compromise some ongoing criminal investigation. We don't have. Uh, particulars and part of what Mr. Mogadam's uh, application is demanding is saying either you must resume this investigation fully or you must at least tell us why right. you're suspending because right now it, everything is very opaque and and it's not reasonable and the the attorney general has responded to our application by saying you can't bring your application now you have to wait until our investigation uh, is completed and then you can and then you can go to a court to review it. Our response to that is, we don't know if your investigation ever will be completed because you've, you've mostly suspended it. It may never be yeah. completed. And now is the only time we can go to court to force you to complete that investigation. Yeah, it's just incredible. Look at this, this 
David versus Goliath, fight for these fa- uh, families. Shaheen is on the line with us now. And Shaheen, you know, we've talked many, many times, and every time I talk to you, it's like the same story where you and the others are getting nothing but a runaround. You're getting kind of uh, no information, and yet you know, time and time again, you all fight and fight and fight. For the things that the prime minister said to your face, I mean, my listeners will remember, he stood in your home and took pictures with you, promising you that you would get justice. And, and all this time has passed, and you still don't have the answers. Uh, yes, uh, Alex. Thank you to, <laughs> thanks to having me here. But as you said, uh, unfortunately, what we got from this government, and especially Justin Trudeau, was opaque and all duplicity. And uh, we didn't see any concrete action regards uh, these these uh, matter regards the PS752. Uh, all lies, all acting, uh, just talking and take photo, and that's it. Uh, as Asher said, uh, we received clearly a, a comment from a letter from the Brenda Lucky that they said uh, we are not mm-hmm. going to do any investigation regarding the case. So what that means? That does the Canadian life matter to you at all, or or no? It was uh, 55 citizens, 30 uh, 30 permanent resident, and all about 132 ties in Canada and live here like a, a students. We are in, in fourth year now, and uh, mm-hmm. nothing happened, uh, nothing at all. Uh, they didn't, as they said, they didn't do even the, uh, Iran in account. Yeah. Not, not, not any support event. And what they're doing, it's blocking us uh, instead. While, we, while they, 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 they're telling us that um, the Ukraine has a better position to do the investigation, while it's, it's funny that Ukraine filed a complaint in Canada in, in Supreme mm-hmm. Court, and it's really I, it's totally ununderstandable. Well, it's cruel. I, I, I mean, it, it comes to a point where it's just cruel and Asher. I mean, the longer this goes on, uh, the more chance that this will never get answered. I mean, I, and at this point, it would actually be better if they just said, honestly, you know, we can't get the answers. It would be it would be less cruel to the families who are just, um, you know, like anybody. They just want to know that someone's being held to account. But, you know, um, I, I don't know how to get this process moving if the political will's not there. Well, that's right. And, and that's why the courts are, are really the only avenue at this point to get the process moving. I mean, the investigation into why the RCMP didn't bring a complaint, that investigation yeah. has been mostly suspended now for about nine months. Um, let's say it's going to be lifted eventually. When is that going to happen? Six months from now, a year from now, two years from now? You're absolutely right. As a as a sort of basic matter of criminal investigation. The longer you wait, mm-hmm. the harder it becomes to investigate the matter, even if you choose to do so, the easier it becomes for the perpetrators to evade justice. I mean, that's, that's just a basic principle of any criminal investigation. And so absolutely, we need to move now uh, so that this suspension can be lifted so that the uh, review agencies investigation into the RCMP can can actually continue and hopefully resulting in a in a prompt criminal investigation i should say prompt from now but mm. you know years <laughs> and years after the attack um well, and, have and we hopefully- sorry have we learned nothing from the air india bombing and the way we treated those families and the fact that it was so bungled i mean have we not learned anything in this country 
Yeah, I mean, this is this is the problem. Uh, any sort of attack or or uh, you know major uh, disaster, anything like that, anything criminal, anything terrorist, etc., needs to be investigated as promptly as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you need to treat it like a crime scene, and you need to get answers as soon as possible. Yeah, oh, we just lost Ash. There we go. Sorry, we just lost you off the top there, off the back end. Uh, Shaheen, let me just ask you this, because, you know, you reached out to me and and you sent me a petition. What are you asking? What do you need from our listeners and from, because I know the Canadian public are on your side. I know that they want justice. They want answers. And and so what do you need as far as support? You know, you know, Alex, as Asher said, the investigation via the RCMP is nothing to do with the investigation by Ukraine. Both countries can do their own investigation. And then after that, they can just... Uh, collect and, and share all the information and and get the clues and then go to, to the bottom line. But now, uh, as we, 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 we face with the, with the denying of the, the, the government, I, I started a petition by Melissa Lansman and directly asking the, the, the House to push the government to, to, and to, to, to let the RCMP to start the investigation. And I... I I asked all the Canadians to support this petition. It's called uh, petition number E four three two three three two four three three two. Yes, I support that to let the the House deal with the with the with the, this matter because till now uh, we didn't see anything from the government and and they push politically and do the pressing on the RCMP even. And in the last few years, we have many issues with the government, the RCMP. You know what's happening in the the Nova Scotia and any other places. Yeah. No, it's not acceptable. And um, and it's almost, you know, it's just, it's not acceptable. So look, I'll push that... um petition out on my Twitter and uh, and we'll put the information out. 